welcome to Opportuna Obscura. This is our little spinoff that we do in between regular episodes because Mm -hmm. we love you and we love each other and we want to share the love. Yeah, so much hugging going on right now. Virtual hugging. Yes, virtual hugging. And today is a special episode because we are going to talk about the winter solstice. Mm, Yes, we are. And some really, really dark stuff. I have some horrifying things to talk about today. Great, because mine is actually pretty light and fun. Oh, okay. So you're going to be the yin to my yang, essentially. Yes, as always. Yeah, well, I mean, we balance each other out. So Karen, do you want to go ahead and just let people know what winter solstice is? Because not, they, not, they may not necessarily know what that means. Yeah, so it's definitely not something that is part of our everyday American culture. So from Wikipedia, this is a quote. A solstice, so there's two a year, by the way. A solstice is an event that occurs when the sun appears to reach its most northerly or southerly excursion relative to the celestial equator on the celestial sphere. Okay, so winter solstice usually lands on December 21st or 22nd. And like I said, there are two solstices a year, summer and winter. The summer solstice is the longest day of the year, and the winter solstice is the shortest. Mm, Yep. Furthest away from the sun, closest to the sun. Makes sense. Yep. And so it's kind of nice because we have something else to blame our seasonal affective disorder on. It's the tilt of the earth. Yeah. It's almost like we're connected to the earth. I know. So weird, I say sarcastically. It's crazy. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about the science behind this. First, there are three truths we have to know to understand the solstice phenomenon. So those three truths are, one, the Earth is a sphere. So mm-hmm. if you're a flat earther, just get the fuck out. Uh, they're not here, for the record. <laughs> if you have stuck with us this long, as we've said in previous episodes, you're not, you're, you're not a flat earther. Probably. And if you are, please DM us so we can have a conversation. No, don't DM me. I don't care. You're lost. Uh, DM me. I want to have the conversation. All right. She's way more patient than I am. Okay. So truth number two, the earth makes a trip around the sun in approximately a year. Yeah. 365 days. Give or take. And that's why we have leap year. Yep. Okay. So the earth, while it is going around the sun, rotates on a tilted axis. Mm -hmm. So this is known as the obliquity of ecliptic. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, I just I've never wanted heard to of that before. I just wanted to say it because it sounds really smart. So the angle of the tilt varies from 22.1 degrees and 24.5 degrees. So all of these things equate to or come to the conclusion of when the North Pole is tilted the furthest from the sun. So that's at 24.5 degrees. Mm-hmm. That's the winter solstice in the northern hemisphere. And when it's the winter solstice here in the north, it's the summer solstice in the south. Because the south pole is tilted the closest it ever is toward the sun. Interesting. Yep. You know, I never made the correlation, but that makes perfect sense. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I, it didn't occur to me really either. So that's why I thought I should bring it up. Because it's interesting yeah. that like, you know, yin and yang, right? Yeah, Opposites for sure. Balance. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. You're blowing my mind here today. Yay. the winter solstice is much more than science and darkness though it has significance all over the world especially in agricultural cultures 
or agri- agricultural societies. Most famously at Stonehenge. I don't know much about Stonehenge, honestly. Well, I'm not going into it. <laughs> okay. Well, then maybe we'll address it in a future episode. I mean, it is a mystery. and Is it, though? Yeah. I mean, the I'm- pyramids, much larger. They figured that out. So- a couple stones in a field. <laughs> I mean, again, I don't know that much about Stonehenge, but like, is it really a mystery? So the mystery of Stonehenge, besides how these big-ass rocks from far away got there, is that they are lined up perfectly so that on the winter solstice, the sun shines through one part of it to the other part. And it's... And I did not do any research on this for this episode, but I have watched a lot of history documentaries because I'm a nerd. And Spoiler uh, alert. (laughs) (laughs) And it turns out that historians believe that Stonehenge was really just a big calendar. Okay. I don't understand why that would be a mystery, though. Uh, they They still don't really know who built it, and they don't know really why. Because they didn't have any writing from that time. I still don't think that's that mysterious. Well, it's not, and that's why we're not going into it. (laughs) Okay. I mean, we may sometime in the future. I mean, this podcast is going to be around for a while, hopefully. But yeah, here's hoping. I just don't think that that's that mysterious. It's like, oh, someone created a calendar on a hill. Okay. Yeah. The other topic I was going to cover today was going to involve the Mayan calendar, but I decided not to cover that topic. So, but um, turns out calendars really do have a lot to do with the solstices. I believe it. Okay, so we're going to take a step away from European and Celtic tradition, and I want to share a bit about the indigenous people of North America and how they celebrated the solstice. So specifically, I want to talk about the Zuni people. This Uh culture originated in the Zuni River Valley. Most of the Zuni population today still live in that region in western New Mexico in in the Pueblo of Zuni. Hmm. Okay, I was going to ask you where that was, but yeah, you clarified that. So when I work on topics with names I've never heard before, I usually go to YouTube and find some pronunciation. And in my travels, I found a very informative song by a band called the Zuni Midnighters. And they're like a, a southwestern like country rock band. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. Um, And so they wrote a song about the history of the Zunis, and the song is called Land of the Shaleiko, and the Shaleiko is many things, and it's what brings us here today. Nice. The Shaleiko is one of the most complex religious ceremonies known to man, and it coincides with the winter solstice. Keith Cunningham, in his book, Two Zuni Artists, A Tale of Art and Mystery, says, quote, the Zuni word shaleko refers to the ceremony, to the costume figures of the dance, and to the spirits they personify. Cool. Yeah. Um, so there's also a Sean Connery, Bridget Bardot movie of the oh, same no, name. Rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> that's funny you should say that. Cause... All right. So I only watched the trailer and it looks racist as fuck. Ooh. Okay. The uh, the one redeeming quality from the trailer is that Bridget Bardot's costumes and hair are on fire. Yeah, you can look attractive and not be racist. Back to the Zuni Shaleko. The ceremony used to be open to the public, but in 1990, that ended. Good on them. Yeah, I couldn't find out why, um, but it is no longer open to the public. 
I kind of agree with certain things remaining private and not being used as like entertainment for people who are just kind of floating through mm. if they are, you know, very culturally significant. And this- I don't know where the line is, but. Yeah, it's like going to somebody's church and like observing like as entertainment. It means something to those people. So, like, show a little respect. There are, however, paintings and sketches for you to view on the drive. Oh, okay. And they will be on the Instagram with credits, as these are not yet in the public domain, and we don't steal art here on EO the Podcast. I'm looking at the first image, Rain God. Outfit looks comfortable. (laughs) First thought. Yeah. Uh, The Rain God wears a mask, or is that the... The face, the face, the face so of the rain god. the rain god definitely wears a mask. Okay. Yeah, masks are a huge part of the ceremony. Nice. Mm-hmm. I like it. I wonder how long it took to, like, create this garment. Well, they have a year to create things, and I'll talk more about that soon. Okay, gotcha. Yes. All right. The second image, also of the rain god, just like a frontal image. Oh, so the first one is not the rain god. Oh, okay. Let me go back and reassess. The first one is the Shaleko figure. Oh, okay. And then the tall. Yeah. Very tall. Yes, and I'll talk more about that too. And then the second one is the Zuni rain god. I like it. Yes. The Zuni Pueblo is a modern day agricultural society, and so the seasons, sun, and nature play a great part in their culture. The Shaleko Festival honors the Zuni deities who bring blessings and balance for the coming agricultural year. Anna Dooling, the author of the New York Times article, The Spirit of the Zuni Pueblo, writes, quote, Watching the Shaleko ceremony at the Zuni Pueblo in New Mexico is like standing on the edge of time and peering back into the prehistoric era. Masked dancers their costumes towering 10 feet high and covered with feathers, animal skins, magnificent silver jewelry, and hand-woven blankets are figures as mesmerizing as their origins are mysterious. The ceremony begins not long after the last one ended, as preparation takes almost a year. Now, so I am unsure if it's one or six families, so one from each kiva or one kiva, is chosen to be host to the Shaleko in all its forms. So kivas are usually considered to be rooms or spaces used for specific religious and political purposes in Puebloan culture. But from what I gathered through context, for modern day Zuni, the kiva is more like groups of families or clans that serve a purpose to the community. So the Zuni have six kivas and... I'm not sure if each chooses a host family or if one Kiva is chosen as the host. Okay. Yes, that was unclear to me. And if anybody knows, dude, I'd love to hear about it. So this family or Kiva has a lot of work to do. They appoint their dancers to represent the deities in the dance. And then they build a house, like a literal house, in which to entertain the deities. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it is a lot of work. I mean, this is what their culture revolves around. The dancers wear massive, elaborate costumes, each specified to the deity they are impersonating. And so now we're going to talk about the deities. 
Nice. Yes. The fire god comes to the village four days before Shaleko, lighting bonfires along the way to guide the deities. He is usually played by a young boy, painted black, and dotted with spots of red, yellow, blue, and white. These are the colors of the sun in Zuni iconography. He carries a torch and a bag of seeds over his shoulder. Then there are the rain priests. So from there, the rain priests, Longhorn from the north and Hatutu from the south. I believe the picture you saw is Hatutu from the south. Mm-hmm. They wear deer skins and wooden masks adorned with fur and feathers. Longhorn's mask is made special with black and white stripes. And you guessed it, a longhorn. Well, makes sense. Yes. <laughs> this horn represents long life for the Zuni. Yamu Haktos, one coming from the east and one coming from the west, arrive bare-chested wearing wooden masks with cottonwood twigs on top. So these are other deities that just represent the east and the west, and they are called Yamu Haktos. Okay, next. <laughs> the ugly, incestuous offspring from the Zuni creation story called mm. the Mudheads. They arrive in clay masks with pegs for noses and large conical ears. They are mm. meant to be ugly. Okay. Yes. Here we go. So all these dancers are overseen by the Salamobia, and those are the warriors. They wear bird-like masks with turkey feathers. And the very last dancer we get to see is the Shaleko. And as described in the New York Times article, he is a 10-foot-high bird creature incorporating a snapping beak, layers of colorful blankets, a tail of streaming horsehair, dangling rabbit skins, and a crest of eagle feathers. The costume is constructed from buckskin stretched over a willow wood frame. So I imagine this is pretty difficult to dance in. Oh, yeah, for sure. After midnight on the Chosen Night, it's not always necessarily the winter solstice, but it is very close. It's, you know, because the winter solstice changes dates every year. Mm -hmm. So after midnight on this night, the Chosen family, their kiva, and special guests converge on the living room of the house built for this occasion. And then the dance begins. Prior to 1990, visitors could watch the dance through the windows, but no longer. There are two men that take turns dancing as Shaleko, and they are joined by the other deities. The men dance until just before dawn, when the Longhorn, the northern rain priest, appears on the roof of a nearby dwelling and begins or, and brings in the new year with the day's first light by chanting prayers. The ceremony ends at the river around noon the next day, where the Shalakos race each other to stake prayer sticks in the earth. This is symbolic of their position as couriers of the gods. According to religion scholar Tisa Wagner, quote, The Zuni believe their ceremonies are necessary, not just for the well-being of their tribe, but for the entire world. If a Shaleko has an accident during the dancer race, the crowd must immediately disperse. The warriors mm. chase and whip the witnesses if they can catch them. What? Yep. Okay. Random. <laughs> How dare you see me miss up my dance step? Well, I'm gonna whip the crap out of you. I think it's more so they don't like the individuals don't carry like the bad energy with them. 
I don't know if I want to be whipped to get bad energy out. I rather, I mean, can we find an alternate method? Um, I'm not, I'm not trying to shame this culture, but I'm not on board with being whipped. I think whipping is extreme in all cultures. So a mishap during the dance is considered a bad omen. In the past, earthquakes have been attributed to these missteps. The Zuni Pueblo has also contributed to religious freedom in America. Native Americans are the original non-Christians in this country. And as we still see today, Christianity and its missionary ideology has always tried to police non-Christian practices. In the 1920s, Victorian Protestant missionaries made their way to the Pueblo region, and tensions about sexual mores, a.k.a. dancing, arose. Mm. They believed that paganism, and that's in quotes because how dare they, was intrinsically opposed to their moral standards. The Christians were obviously unsuccessful in squashing the Zuni and other Pueblo religions, as they still exist today. However, their religion was not legally protected in America until the American Indian Religious Freedom Act, which was enacted in 1978. <sighs> yep. Merry Christmas. <laughs> So, you know, I always have to end these things on a political note because um, this is my soapbox. Because this is Karen. Mm -hmm. um, in a nutshell. Yep. In a nutshell. Okay. Shall we get started with my segment? Let's do it. I'm actually going to start with a little bit of fun facts around Christmas oh. that actually aren't really that positive. Oh, no. So sorry if you join us for our holiday episode to be brought down emotionally. Yeah. And mentally. Not, yeah. Welcome. Not even a mention of snow yet, um, because it's Happy holidays. snow in New Mexico that much. Happy holidays. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about mistletoe. So mm. mistletoe is actually a parasitic plant, which Karen already knows because she studied plants. But just in case you're wondering... It's pretty much a terrible plant. It latches onto trees and it leaches the nutrients and water from the tree until the tree dies. Mm. So that's fun. It's also poisonous. So don't eat that shit. Let's just kind of dive into mistletoe. Right. So mistletoe is a tradition within the holiday season, specifically around Christmas, I believe. Yes. I actually didn't research that too much. But anyway, traditionally, you have mistletoe, which has red berries on it. And every time two people pass under the mistletoe, they're expected to kiss, sexual assault, and take one of the red berries <laughs> off. Yeah. Hmm. After all the berries are gone, the mistletoe no longer carries any power. However, today the practice is completely ignored. Well, the, take the red berry. Mm -hmm. And mistletoe is just used to make a whole bunch of awkward situations feel more awkward. Mm. So that's mistletoe. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Forget consent. There's the mistletoe. Yep. Another creepy thing. Parents allowing children to sit on the lap of strangers oh. to take a picture during the holiday season. My mom never allowed us to do this. There's not a single picture of me or my siblings on the lap of a Santa. But isn't that creepy? I vaguely remember a picture of you with like a picture of you with an Easter bunny. Easter bunny. Yeah. I think one time my mom like gave into like social pressure and allowed me to take a picture with an Easter bunny, but not a single one with a Santa. I don't know if I've ever seen a picture of me with a Santa, but I remember like sitting on a Santa. So mm. Mm. 
Okay, next up, I'm going to attack Christmas songs. Yeah. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, so we all know I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Yeah. Gross. I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. This man broke into your home and now is accosting your mother. Well. It's supposed to be the father pretending yeah. to be Santa Claus. But like, eh. And then, baby, it's cold outside. Mm, date rape. Don't you leave my house. Stay here and have another drink. It's cold outside. Hey, what's in this drink? Mm-hmm. Mm. Am I ruining Christmas for everybody? Maybe. No, no. There's plenty of lovely Christmas songs that do not have sexual assault implications. <laughs> also, the going back to I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus, Santa Claus is married. <gasps> That's right. Mrs. Claus. <laughs> Santa is a cheater. Yeah, I saw Santa Claus being an adulterer. Mm. Damn you, Santa. And that is it for me ruining Christmas traditions. Now I'm going to get into the Yule Lads. Okay, I don't know what the hell that is. So the Yule Lads is actually a tradition within Iceland. I shouldn't say tradition. It is um, a story told within Iceland about 13 Yule Lads that would visit the children in the 13 days going up to Christmas. And originally they were super, super dark. Um, a lot of kids being eaten kind of, kind of situation. And then as time progressed, uh, they were kind of, what's the right word? They, they made the legend a little bit more PC. Mm, Disney eyes. And so they, yeah, they started doing things like, oh, they come and they lick your spoons. I'll get to it. According to legend, the Yule Lads, so quote from a Ranker article, which I will link in my sources. Quote, according to legend, the Yule Lads would visit children at night in the 13 days leading up to Christmas. The purpose of these visits was always malevolent. There were 13 individual Yule Lads with unique names and personalities. Each one performed a wicked task related to their specific persona, and they often stole food and resources that were important to survival. Hmm. End quote. Three of the Yule Lads were said to steal milk and farm animals, one would lick food from pots, and one took sausages. One would slam doors at night, which I think is the most egregious of all of those. Um, I'm pretty sure that one lived in the bungalow that I lived in in college. Yeah, you can take the milk and the farm animals, but if you wake me up in the middle of the night to scare me, because the sole purpose was to scare children, we're going to have problems. Mm. I need my beauty sleep. I am hanging on a thread when it comes to beauty. I need all that sleep, okay? You should never get a cat. Oh, absolutely not. Because they do all sorts of weird shit in the middle of the night. And another one of them, of the 13, was known to steal candles. And I also read, like, eight candles so that they couldn't, so children couldn't find their way home at night or they were alone in the dark at night, which is, like, messed up. Like, they would eat the candles? Like, they would basically eat their nightlight. Are these humans or are these spirits? I will get to it. Don't worry. Because if they were humans, eating a candle is going to cause some major blockage and people can die from that. I will I will get to it, but they are not humans. Okay. At all. So we don't need to worry about their bowels. I was not concerned anyway, but no. No, we don't. Okay. Okay, so the Yule Lads were actually supposed to be parented by two monsters. I cannot pronounce the names of the two monsters, so I'm going to put uh, the link in my sources if you would like to go investigate it. The mother, whose name starts with a G, she uh, has uh, hooves for feet and 13 tails, and she lives in the mountains and comes down to villages to hunt for bad children. 
Oh, I like it. And then, yep, she takes them in a sack and drags them back up to her house and then boils them alive and eats them in a stew. That sounds... Still like it, Karen? Yeah. Still like yeah. it? Yeah. I okay. hate bad children. And there's not much about the father, but I imagine if that's your wife, then you're probably on board with some pretty terrible things. Yeah. They also had a demonic cat. That's right. Oh, a demonic cat. They had a demonic cat <laughs> that used to go down and hunt for children as well. I mean, they're big into hunting for children. Mm-hmm. Unlike a lot of the Christmas stories we've been told, it didn't matter whether you were good or bad. If you were around, this cat was going to eat you. Oh, I love it. And (laughs) it didn't eat anything else but humans. It just came down, looked for kids, gobbled them up. How big was this cat and what color was it? I have no idea. The picture is black. Okay. Like another black cat getting a bad name. Mm -hmm. I don't know. My black cat is definitely the meanest of all of my cats. Fair. It said that if you, as a child, received an item of clothing, then you were immune to what was called the Yule Cat. Mm. I think personally, and this article kind of agrees with me, I think that this was kind of like, hey, be grateful your aunt got you socks. Yeah. Yep. Because now the Yule Cat is not going to come down and eat you. Yeah, your aunt just saved your life with those socks. With those socks. Be happy. Um, to conclude, to just go back to what I spoke to a little bit earlier, the Yule Lads are no longer the frightening folklore that they were previously that used to eat children. Now they are used, now they are taught as part of Icelandic culture and children actually leave out shoes for the Yule Lads to come and deposit gifts in. Hmm. So if you're good throughout the holiday season or maybe throughout the year, maybe the Yule Lad will bring you a gift. If not, they'll leave you a potato. <laughs> um i love potatoes yeah i mean either way like win-win yeah right yeah and it said that roughly 54 percent of icelanders believe in elves so the culture remains very strong in iceland and honestly i've been to iceland it's beautiful and i applaud them keeping their culture as strong as it is and that is my segment for the winter solstice bonus episode. And a cat eating children in the street. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so if you would like to reach out to us, you can find us at EO the podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Encyclopedia Obscura. And as always, we have a Twitter handle. So please tweet us at EO the podcast and let us know your weird, mysterious or obscure subjects for a future episode. And so, my name is Casey. And I'm Karen. Happy holidays. We'll see you in 2022. Bye!